I'm Angela, and this is BYU After Me Too, where we talk about how sexual assault is impacting BYU students. This week, we're going to hear from Naomi Mortensen. Naomi is an amazing advocate for survivors. She has years of volunteer and work experience under her belt. And while I could have spent hours talking with her about any of these experiences, she is also the founder of the BYU club Students Together Against Sexual Assault, or STASA, which is what we'll be hearing from her about today. Getting this club approved took years, but she was determined to get it off the ground before she graduated. She fought hard to cut through the red tape of BYU administration, got support from professors, and officially created STASA in August 2019. We did this interview pre-pandemic, and a few things have changed since we talked. The biggest change is that Naomi has now graduated, and the new co-presidents of STASA are Adia Hansen and Jenna Woolley. Naomi now works as an instructional content creator at RAIN, the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. Here's Naomi. So Naomi, I have just learned about this club that you're involved in on campus. Could you kind of just tell me how you got started? Sure thing. So it's um, it started out as the Students Against Sexual Assault Club. Um, we recently had to change our name and acronym because there's already an SASA acronym within the BYU infrastructure. So we're now Students Together Against Sexual Assault. And Kif Augustine Adams is our advisor and we work very, very closely with her and Julie Valentine. And... Essentially, I I had started this, I had tried starting this club three years ago um, because there had been uh, in nationwide news an incident where um, a girl was kicked out for um, being sexually assaulted. Well, even that's a, a very, I might have to change my choice of words on that, but kicked out for something and it happened to be related to sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Um However, it was too sensitive at the time, and so they, they were like, now's not a good time to form that club. So was that the Maddie Barney case? I think so. That was okay. 2016. 16, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I then I decided, I was like, well, it's probably time to take this up again. Um, and so I started it, and it, it went through, and they were like, yeah, how can we support? And BYUSA has been very, very supportive, willing to help us, however. Um, And essentially the club, what the club is to do is to create a social net um, of support through education. So many people aren't aware of the common side effects um, and implications of being sexually assaulted. And uh, I work at, um, I work at the Center for Women and Children uh, in crisis and I am on what's called the rape crisis team, and so what happens is I will have a hotline phone and a a sexual assault forensic nurse will call that hotline phone and be like, I need you to come to the hospital, and I need you to um, kind of sit with the survivor, help them fill out paperwork, basically be the person next to the hospital who helps them with whatever they need and answers their questions. And one of the things that I was finding being on that team was when someone said that they were sexually assaulted 
they went to two types of people. Um, one, their mom, and then two, a friend slash roommate. Um, and so it got me thinking, well, if the number one or then yeah, the number one person that people turn to tends to be a friend or roommate and that friend or roommate doesn't know anything about sexual assault, that can put them on so many different paths. And so why not get the friend or roommate the resources they need to know what's going on? And so if we create this this wonderful community spread net of information and knowledge and be like, oh, you know what? There's a resource on campus. I can direct you to this resource. It can really change the trajectory of some people's process of healing. Absolutely. Um, I, I thank you for describing kind of your process with realizing how much of an issue this is. So you mentioned um, that people don't always know how to recognize survivors of sexual traumas um, symptoms. So can you describe some of the ways that, um, that trauma can be manifest in people? Oh, yeah. This one's really interesting. Um, it also has affected, I feel like, different generations. And I'm going to speak woman um, just because a lot of the survivors that I work with have been women. And so just I can only really speak to that because I don't work with men as much. But mm-hmm. with women, the different generations, they have different um, typical reactions. Um, a lot of people withdraw from friends, family, become very, very quiet, um, become hyper vigilant, right? Where they're noticing every single thing in the room. They're noticing um, the clock ticking. It's bothering them hearing the clock ticking. They're hearing doors open in the building. Um, they're just super, just so hyper vigilant about what's happening around them. Um, and then there are people, you know, who don't let, who don't engage in emotionally intimate or physically intimate relationships because of that, because that's so triggering. Um, But conversely, there are those who, on the other side of the spectrum, they will engage in those physically intimate relationships or emotionally intimate relationships because they need a sense of power because they lost that when they were assaulted. Um, And so, you know, it's really hypervigilance, either emotional unavailability or kind of emotional floodlighting um, and just withdrawing with friends. And what is emotional floodlighting? So emotional floodlighting, some people think it's vulnerability but it's actually when you kind when it's a defense mechanism where if someone's mad at you you're like it's not my fault you know this 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 happened Mm -hmm. like everything happened and you flood them with all sorts of facts and details um and it's kind of different than being vulnerable because when you're vulnerable you tend to pick and choose what parts of the story and you're still in a bit control but floodlighting is like I'm going to give you everything and it's going to be overwhelming Mm -hmm. um and I'm not going to be able to case how I tell my story interesting yeah And, and I think I thank you for describing those symptoms because I think sometimes we have in our heads what a victim or a survivor looks like and I think we imagine someone um who cries or someone who has panic attacks, things like that. And we don't always think about the withdrawing and the emotional floodlighting like you just mentioned um, or like making yourself more sexually available. I think, uh, like you said, trauma can manifest itself in all sorts of different ways. And if as a friend or a roommate listening to someone's story, you're not open to those different ways, then you might not be able to help um, your friend. so so now that I understand more about why you decided to create this club, can you describe like what kind of a resource it is? Sure. So it's mainly an educational resource. Um, 
are in talking to the university um you know we kind of have this agreement where like we're not a support group we're not there to give any sort of clinical advice or you know a therapy support nothing like that we're an educational group but we're also kind of students gathered and it's really nice just being with other people who realize that this is a topic of um just importance on campus and that it's important here and so as a club we want to educate people on well what does a survivor look like what are the symptoms um how do you respond to someone who's told you this um thing that happens has happened in their life where do you go after that and we want to give people um options right like there's on-campus resources, which it sounds like you're getting into, and then there's mm-hmm. off-campus resources that are free and that are paid for by the state and that are anonymous. And we also want to talk about um, something that we're going to talk about next semester is, well, trauma manifests itself differently in a survivor who has been assaulted by, say, a family member versus a survivor who's been assaulted by a friend. Um, those are called acquaintance rapes. And then a blitz, which is when they don't know the person, it's a stranger, and that tends to be pretty uncommon comparatively. Um, we want to talk about uh, dating apps. Um, dating apps are, are a difficult subject because, um, in fact, I was just downstairs in, in the stairwell and I saw uh, a thing for mutual, right? And it's not that mutual is inherently bad or good, it's the fact that how do we tell you what safe practices for dating are because you can just um you can take mutual or tinder and unfortunately at the center i've come across so many so many um assaults that happened when this person was like well i saw them on mutual and i thought because they were on mutual that they'd be a pretty safe bet Hmm. and evidently they weren't interesting yeah because i i think we assume because it's an lds app or an app made for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and so that inherently means that people are safe um but as you've as you've talked about like like these these things do happen to people who are members of the church and they are perpetrated by people who are members of the church so uh, that education piece is really important so um and then in those meetings do you give presentations on one of those topics that you mentioned yeah so we'll do that um what we really like is we really like discussion-based settings because, I mean, the students, the, the main part of making this club was to have a peer-led group um, because I don't think we want to be lectured to, um, right? That's what we do all day, every day is mm-hmm. we're, we're lectured to by professors. Um, and so being able to share our thoughts and feelings in an area where it's welcome um, though we did have a panel last event, we had a panel with Kip Augustine Adams, Julie, uh, Julie Valentine, and then Leslie Miles, and then there was a Q&A session, so it's really participatory, and that's a main part of our club. Yeah, um, and then if you mentioned that there are some anonymous resources that are free um, in the community, can you tell me about some of those resources? Yeah, so where I work, the Center for Women and Children in Crisis, um, we have free therapy groups, um, there's support groups, and then we also have free education classes where you, and it's not just for someone who's been assaulted, but also the people around them, the um, peripheral uh, victims, 
um, the secondary victims can come in and learn more about it because, you know, we don't talk about secondary trauma of sexual assault a mm-hmm. lot. Um, but additionally, if I don't know if a lot of people know this, but if you need to go to the hospital to have a rape kit done, it's completely free in Utah and it is paid for by the state. Your entire hospital visit, you get Plan B, you get um, kind of all these medications uh, to protect you against STDs. Everything is free. And if you don't want your name associated with that visit, it doesn't have to be. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea that those resources were so accessible in yeah. Utah. That's really that's really amazing. Um so with, with all of this work that you've been doing to get this club up and running, um, what do you hope it will accomplish for sexual assault survivors and for um, their friends and family members? I want people to be able to talk about it. All of the conversations I would have with friends um, at BYU about this were very hushed. Like, I, you know, I'd be in the hallway and I'd just kind of like huddle up with my friends and we'd talk about it in low voices. But it's not a shameful subject. Um, it's something that happens to um, one-fifth of women, one-sixth of men. Why, why are we talking about it so hush? Why is it such a shameful thing? And so my aim is to make it a less shameful thing um, by bringing it out into the open where we can just have like an open conversation and be like, yeah, just talk about it. Yeah, that, that is so important. Um, and, and I think that shame is part of why people have such a hard time coming forward um, because I, I think especially for the BYU culture in this LDS context, we have a lot of different layers around um, sexuality in general. Yeah. And so then you add on to that um, not very much education on consent and then uh, then people don't often know what to do when they are sexually assaulted. So. I think it's a, a really important service that you're that you're doing for Thanks. for these students here, um, and yeah, thank you so much for being willing to to talk with me about it. Um, those are the questions that I had, but do you want to add anything else? It doesn't just have to be a, about the club, but about sexual assault in general. Yeah, I I'll put my little caveat that I've been thinking about lately on kind of healthy relationships and part of our shame-based society is we don't like it when women and girls speak up for themselves and there's a lot of stereotypes that we put out there for women and girls who do um who just like to say what's on their minds um and of course there's a healthy way to do that and an unhealthy way to do that but the most important thing is communication i think i have heard sometimes Um, I once heard a guy was like, well, I don't know what to do because all these, you know, me too things are coming out and all of a sudden I'm not sure what's okay for me to do and not to do with my girlfriend. I'm like, well, step one, ask her. That's easy. Like, Like such an easy solution. Just communicate. And I think the number one thing in a healthy relationship is communicating because you're always going to be playing some sort of movie or story in your head about what this other person is thinking and feeling and why they're doing what they're doing. And you're going to ha- like totally um, portray them as someone else that they aren't in that movie in your head. And so I think that's so unfair to both of you. And so I think if we have healthy relationships and I say, hey, this is my boundary, I need you to respect that boundary. And I say that lovingly. That's not a hard thing for me to, it shouldn't be a hard thing for me to say, be like, hey, and what's your boundary? Um, I feel like so many people think that's really off-putting and they're like, well, that's not sexy. And you're just like, well, 
it doesn't need to be sexy. You know, I'm not trying to be a cool girl. I just want um, people to respect my body. I love that. Thank you. (laughs) You could just drop the mic right there. That's perfect. (laughs) Thank you so much. I really have enjoyed talking with you. Thank you, Naomi. Thanks for listening. If you're a BYU student, you can get involved in STASA. Because of the pandemic, they are now holding virtual events and meetings through Zoom at 7.30 p.m. on Tuesdays. So even if you're not on campus this semester, you can still participate. You can find information about their meetings on their Instagram page at BYUSTASA. That's B-Y-U-S-T-A-S-A. I'll include a link to their page in the description of this episode. Next week, we'll hear from someone who helped a friend talk to Title IX. She'll give some tips on how to help a friend in crisis. Special thanks to Abner Apsley for the music. Until next time, I'm Angela, and this is BYU After Me Too.